Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sano, joined, as always, by the Bill. To my Ted, it's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how are you doing? I am Bill S. Preston, Esquire. <laughs> and our very own Rufus. That's right, it's Eric Ronovec. Eric, how are you doing? Uh, old, wise, and uh, generationally cool. Keeping uh, keeping us in line, as it were, right? Yeah. Every uh, rose has its thorn. <laughs> Um, all right, so so uh, it's a big it's a big couple week here for the Seahawks because we're gonna get to our fifty three man cut down is coming cut day is coming quickly the first day of the season is game of the season is coming quickly we are rapidly approaching the first game's on the tenth with more games to follow it's uh, not our game our first game's not on the tenth that's just everyone's first game if you're not but if, if you're not ready to watch that Texans Chiefs that's gonna be a blast uh, then then I don't know what you're waiting for so yeah we're, we're nine days away from the st- return of NFL football and I could not be more excited about it but for some people this for some Seahawks this will not be uh, the beginning of their journey it will be the end and unfortunately the, for a lot of guys they know this is as far as they get and so we are going to talk today about our predictions for the final 53-man Seahawks roster. Are you guys ready? More Let's or less. It. Okay, and then we'll, we'll, we'll cover a couple other things after after this, but I wanted to get right into it. So, first, quarterback. Got to start with the, the 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 most important position. All right, we've got four guys for, for two spots, let's be honest. Even in the age of COVID, I don't think that anyone's going to want to keep three quarterbacks unless you're in like a Taysom Hill situation. Where the third quarterback is actually a running back. I was about to say, the third quarterback is also the second tight end, the fourth running back, and the fifth wide receiver. So, so. Russell Wilson, 100% lock. I'm calling Geno Smith at this point a 100% lock to be the backup. Do you agree with that? I have Geno Smith as a probable yes, but yeah, I could probably move it over. I think uh, Anthony Gordon has a small chance at beating him out, but I think in all likelihood he's just out bound for the practice squad. So here's my theory, actually, is that they want to get Gordon and maybe Etling as well onto the practice squad. Really? But I do not think that both of those guys are going to make it to the practice squad. I think Anthony Gordon is going to get sniped from us by someone. So I have Anthony Gordon in the cut but not coming back list. It's uh, sad because I really like him. I respect Mm -hmm. him. And he's played, uh, seems to be having a pretty decent camp. Uh, I mean... Michael Sean Duggar's talking him up, but he also is a fellow Coug like me. So I'm not 100% sure how much of that is like wish casting a little so bit. So what I'm hearing is return of the Magoo. No, I, I, <laughs> I say I, I think they want both these guys to make it on the practice squad. So if they can do that, if they can get Etling and Gordon onto the practice squad, that's what they'll do. If not, then, uh, well, this will be the end of the road for, uh, for, for, for one of those guys. Uh, I put Etling on the practice squad. Obviously, if both of them make it to the practice squad, then I think that's the ideal situation. Any, any, anything else there, Kevin? You think that Gordon has a path to the roster, or do you think it's pretty much Gino? I think it's, I think it's about seventy to eighty percent Gino. Um, he's been balling out pretty well in the mock games. He knows the offense backwards and forwards in a shortened year. I just think that it makes a lot of sense. He's been the two in the entire time. There's never been any. It's never been altered. You know what I mean? It's yep. just been Geno Smith the whole way. Uh, let's go to running back. Where there are six running backs currently on the Seahawks roster. This is an easy one. It's a layup, guys. Chris Carson, DJ Dallas, Carlos Hyde, Travis Homer, and Nick Ballore. Uh, then Rashad Penny is going to be starting the season on the IR. So I have Homer, 
Dallas, Carson, and Hyde in the 100% lock category. Do you disagree with that? Anyone? Anyone want to fight no. me on that? Uh, I have Homer and Hyde in the probable yes. Why? Just because if they made a really big mistake and chose to keep Belor, I think one of those people, I, I think um, one of them would be out for it. Though the hype around Hyde, Hyde is real. Yeah, there's a hype around all four of those guys. That's why I think that they're just in. But I have Belor and probably yes, because I do think that it's going to be hard to convince Pete not to get to the season without a fullback. If they do that, that'd be awesome, because then that, that would be a sign that we're moving away from the low tempo. Uh, think so. Belor's kind of a signpost for me. If he makes the final roster, this team is looking to – it's not changing as much as I want, right? Yeah. It's not it's not changing to what I envision, which I'm envisioning right now a little bit more up tempo, a little faster play, less less guys running on and off the field, you know, just just kind of going out there and, and playing playing fast and trying to get ahead early. Uh, if Belor is on the team, that means that they're gonna run a stupid like third and three smash him in the <laughs> mouth play. That that'll drive me nuts. Uh, where they put like a like extra offensive lineman and a fullback on the field. Which is, yeah, bring um, out Ogby and uh, Belor. So ugh. maybe Belor, kind of like Geno Smith. So Pete always sticks to his backup quarterbacks for as long as he can. And I feel like Belor, there's something like he's bringing off the field, like to practices. I don't know. It's there's no proof that he should be on this roster. So he makes a great la- he makes a great lasagna. That's got to be it for the potluck. I, I officially am cutting um, Grandpa Belor. All right, I like it. I like your style. I would love to free up a roster spot because it would make it easier for me. Um, wide receivers. There are eleven wide receivers currently on the roster. No, twelve. There are twelve. Uh, Lockett, Metcalf, Dorsett, Richardson, Swainer, Sua, Moore, Lenore, Dawkins, Fuller, Thompson, Hart. Let's work backwards. Uh, practice, <laughs> practice squad. Kevin, who'd you, who'd you have in the wide receiver group making it to the practice squad? I have Fuller and Thompson making it to the practice squad. I have Fuller, Thompson, and Hart. Hart has been pretty impressive from the things people have written down in the mock games. He caught a touchdown uh, in the third mock game. He's caught some passes earlier. I think Penny Hart, I mean, he gets run with Russ. So like that is a sign that he's at least in the mix to stick around, maybe not make the team, but right, like they, they're, they're giving him a real look. That wouldn't uh, shock me. I agree. Uh, I have Lenore and Dawkins in the definite no category. They're just probably getting cut. Lenore just came. He just came into the team like yesterday, didn't he? Lenore's yeah, our new friend should be here. Make it. <laughs> so, so yeah, I'm pretty sure he's not going to make it. Then, So then this gets us to our, our uh, cuts. Kevin, did you keep five or six wide receivers? I kept six. I also kept six. Eric, did you? would you agree with that? Six, six it is. Okay, so we got six of these seven will make the team. Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, Philip Dorsett, Paul Richardson, Freddie Swain, and John Ursua and David Moore. I said and too many times. Yeah, I was going to yep. say. <laughs> I, was, I, was like, I was definitely I was like, ready to leaving say something. Out? Who's he leaving out? Uh, okay, six so, of these six, seven. So, okay, so, so Eric, you're in charge of the Seahawks. You are John Schneider. No, you're Brian Schneider. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm too tall. Okay. I'm too tall for John okay. Schneider. Okay, so... You can keep six of these seven guys. Who's the guy that's out? Who's the guy that's that's packing his bags, heading home? He's unfortunately just not going to make the team. It's the guy I've been against for a while now. Uh, this podcast has kind of been against him off and on. Uh, he's the most germane curse on the team. David Moore, I wish you well. 
Um, I, for me, it's it's got to be Lockett, Metcalf, Dorsett. Richardson being signed was just a very clear see you later David Moore statement. Freddie Swain has shown a lot of uh, impressive skill. And John Ursua, I feel like, is a guy that they would rather ride with than Moore. David Moore is going to get the classic Seahawks treatment here. They're going to cut him. And then as soon as one of these guys gets hurt, they're going to sign him back. Yeah. It's a classic Seahawks thing. They do it all the time. You see him take a guy, they, they cut him, and then they don't really catch on anywhere else because why would anyone else really want David Moore that much? And then, boom, Paul Richardson breaks his leg, and David Moore is back. That's like classic Seahawks thing to do. I agree. David Moore, when they signed Paul Richardson, a lot of people were like, is Philip Dorsett in trouble? Is Freddie, is John Ursua in trouble? <laughs> I was like, those guys play slot wide receiver. They're not in trouble. The person who's in trouble is the backup X wide receiver, the backup outside wide receiver, and that's David Moore. David Moore is in big trouble when they signed Paul Richardson because unless Paul Richardson is just out of shape and can't play anymore, he's just a directly better version of what David Moore brings to the team, which is an outside receiver playing in a backup role uh, that can make a few big plays. Paul Richardson is a playmaker, and they're not going to need him to play a whole bunch, so he probably will be able to stay healthy. I really like the Richardson signing. I think it's it's clever. It's a clever bit of business, if we, especially in the situation where we couldn't get Josh Gordon back because the league won't make a decision about when he can when he's allowed to come back. So I love it. I'm, I'm all about uh, Paul Richardson signing. I think it's good for the Seahawks. David, David Moore, we'll see you in six weeks when one of these guys gets hurt. <laughs> Kevin. I also think Paul Richardson's an interesting pickup because, um, you know, in the times of COVID, signing a guy who already has rapport with Russ is a sneaky big get. Yeah. So sure. as much as I am 100% on board with Paul Richardson's direct competition with David Moore, I have John Arsua on the outside looking in. Hmm. And that's because I feel like Lockett, Dorsett, and Swain all play the slot at a high level. And we like to rotate other guys through that position. So I think there's a solid chance we end up keeping David Moore as the extra outside receiver. So I think Swain is not even a, a offensive player. They don't, they're, they're, he is literally just a uh, special teamer. Slash. Getting the old Alex Bannister treatment. Right. Like he's not, I don't think he'll have a sing. He'll have less than a, Less than 50 snaps on the actual offense this year. We're going to Ricardo lock him up. But but that doesn't mean he couldn't ever be a defense uh, offensive contributor. I just don't think in his rookie year, their expectations for him to step on the field on offense will be low. It it's will be not more... that he can ever be an offensive weapon. It's that he can't be within three yards of the end zone in a Super Bowl. Let's not talk about that. All right, tight end. <laughs> we started the offseason with a million tight ends, but now only seven remain. Olsen, Disley, Hollister, Sullivan, Parkinson, Wilson, Mabry. All right, uh, Kevin, did you keep four, three? I did keep four. Three, three or four is the is I think the what most people would predict. Um, so I kept four as well. It it makes it a little easy because Parkinson is probably gonna even if he's healthy enough to play, will probably end up on the the NFI list. So oh yeah, Eric, do you got dogs going crazy or something? I do. I'm sorry. I'm gonna mute. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I'm leaving that in. The, it's, li- it's just literally happening. It's like in it's in both sides. I'm like, what are you doing? 
we're doing this all night. The dogs are arguing. <laughs> but who let the dogs out? The answer was Eric. All right. So Sorry. so we both kept four. Uh, Parkinson on the NFI. Do you agree with that, Kevin? Even if he's not really totally hurt. Oh, he, yeah. He's getting that Pete Carroll red shirt. He's get, he's, or at least he's getting like the half season until somebody gets hurt, right? Then all of a sudden, oh, Colby Parkinson. He was actually ready to go. Just kidding about the injury. So, okay, we've got Mabry's out. Let's just call it like we see it. So we got five guys competing for four spots. Olsen, Disley, Hollister, Sullivan, and Wilson. All right. Eric, once again, you put on your John Schneider pants. Who are you gonna who are you gonna cut, man? Olsen, well, is, Disley, Hollister, Sullivan, Wilson. It's gonna be Wilson. I I'm not really in the know on Steven Sullivan, but all the things I'm reading are really good. It's gotta be Greg Olson, it's gotta be Will Disley and Jacob Hollister. This guy's He's held down this position group for two years. It's been a really important role that no one can seem to stay healthy for, and he deserves a spot based on his ability there. Uh, I'm sorry, Luke Wilson, your calves are too small. The, they didn't trade a draft pick to get Sullivan to just like cut him before the season starts and risk not getting him to the practice squad. It's uh, I'm th- I think Wilson would be a more a player with a light higher likelihood to contribute. Than Sullivan, but that doesn't that doesn't matter as much, I think, as the the consideration to the potential. So um, Luke Wilson uh, probably will not be making the team, but I will say this: if a big name signing comes through at the last minute, like a guy maybe like a, like a Jadavian Clowney kind of thing, <laughs> if that happens and the Seahawks need to clear cap, Hollister is probably number one or number two on the list of. Guys we can cut to instantly get money. And that would put Wilson back in position to make the team. So if that ends up happening, just don't be surprised by that. That Hollister is probably a cap casualty if we need to make a, uh, need to clear a little cap room. Uh, Kevin, did you pick the same four as me or did you put Wilson in the in? I got three on the 100% lock list and that's Olsen, Disley, and Hollister. I think Hollister has shown in the preseason and in the back half of last season, we got to play. He has a really good rapport with Russ. I think that he's a really good piece in this offense. I have Luke Wilson in the probable no. And my probably yes is Tyler Mabry. Oh, wow. All right. Former Maryland and Buffalo tight end, because I just don't think Stephen Sullivan's ready to play tight end in any way, shape or form in the NFL. And so mm-hmm. I think Tyler Mabry has had a good preseason. I think that he is more of a true tight end prospect. And I think that he fits better into our offense right now, but I think it's between Steven Sullivan and Tyler maybe for that last spot. I don't think Luke Wilson's in contention unless they really feel like they need that veteraniness that much. All right. Uh, the offensive line is already pretty much set, but we can just go through it really quickly at tackle Brown shell, Jamarco Jones, Ugbui, champion Wheeler. Um, it's Brown shell Jones and Ugbui. Champion and Wheeler could be pra- potential practice squad guys. Do, do, can we just keep going? Or do you guys? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Guards, Lewis, Haynes, and Iupati are on the team. Jordan Simmons has a chance to make the squad depending on how the roster shakes out if they decide to keep uh, nine or 10 offensive linemen. But I think that they're going to go with nine because of the flexibility of a lot of these guys to play guard and center and tackle and stuff. So. I have Simmons on the outs, but did you put Simmons in, Kevin? Or I have him on the practice squad. Uh, I have him out as well. Um, I think the only question I would have is if we go 10, I think Simmons is back in 
and then they want to see if Finney can figure out the offense. And then when Fuller comes off suspension, we'd probably swap Simmons out for Fuller. Yeah, I can see that. And then center is Postage and Finney. Those guys made it. And both those guys can play guard as well in a pinch, which gives us some flexibility if things go really wrong with the guard group. And uh, then at that point, like let's say you potty gets hurt and then we need a new, we need one Finney to step in and play guard. And then we can go sign Brit. You know what I mean? It's like not, it's not super complex. I think what the Seahawks kind of plans are here. So that's done and dusted. We can get right to the juicy stuff. Here we go. Edge. Everyone's favorite part of the Seahawks defense, the, the defensive <laughs> line. Living on the edge. Okay. There's seven guys. Uh, Rasheem Green, LJ Collier, Benson Mayoa, Bruce Irvin, and Alton Robinson, Marcus Webb, and Darrell Taylor. Too many ands again. <laughs> so I kept five of these guys. Kevin, did you keep more than that? Um, I didn't classify all the people at the same positions you did. Oh, so, nice. I like this. What did you, who'd you else did you put at edge? Did you put Shaheem uh, in there? So I only have four at edge because I have Rasheem Green, Benson Mayoa, Alton Robinson, and Bruce Irvin as locks. I have mm-hmm. Darrell Taylor starting on the uh, injured list as yeah, well he's, as he's not Brandon Jackson. For sure. And then I have LJ Collier in the interior defensive line group. And nice. then I split Shaquem Griffin and Bruce Irvin between linebacker and edge because they're both edges and linebackers. So I just put one in one and one in the other. <laughs> I, I did the same thing. I put Bruce Irvin in edge and Shaquem Griffin in linebacker, yep. but really they're both, they're both both. And both of them have been doing all the drills in both, both groups. And so they're, they're just, um, and they're both going to kind of be Swiss army nice. And I feel like Bruce has really taken Shaquem under his wing. And I think that's a really good player to, t- to have mentoring Shaquem yes. because they're very similar. Um, they both have incredible physical tools, huge amounts of burst, and the ability to play along the line and drop into coverage. But uh, they were both extremely raw when they were young. Uh, Bruce Irvin took time to come along, and Shaquem Griffin's going to take time to come along if he's going to be a contributor in the NFL. And Bruce is the perfect guy to teach him how to be that kind of hybrid threat at, at a defensive end, Leo, outside linebacker kind of thing. So I, I think it's great. I think it's great that they're together, and I think that that's going to really work for us. Um, and if people who want to, if you want to watch Shaquem Griffin, why this particular podcast thinks that he's a, a defensive end prospect. And, and you've wondered why we've said it for the last, like for, since we drafted him, why we think he could be a defensive end, go back and watch university of central Florida play against Auburn in their, in their mm-hmm. uh, bowl game. That's the last game of Shaquem Griffin's career. He's playing against a team that has legitimate NFL talent, carry on Johnson at running back and, uh, the New England Patriots quarterback. Uh, what's that guy's Stidham. name, Kevin? Jarrett Stidham. Yeah, at quarterback. So it's a, they have a legitimate talent on this offense, and he is dominant in that game. He has a, a great performance from defensive end, and I think it, it really kind of shows what he's capable of in that if he's given that opportunity. Um, so yeah, Darrell Taylor and Marcus Webb, practice squad, uh, other five guys on the team. Uh, Interior defensive line. It's going to be our first argument. You guys ready? Sure. Yep. Okay. We got Jaron Reed, Puna Ford. Kevin says LJ Collier. He's like a swing guy. He plays both positions. I like that you split him and Green up because he's also kind of a both guy. Yep. Uh, Brian Monet, my- Demarcus Christmas, PJ Johnson, and Cedric Lattimore. All right, Kevin. I had Reed, Ford, Monet, and PJ Johnson. And then I oh. put Demarcus Christmas on the practice squad. PJ Johnson is get got gets uh, gets a lot of compliments in the in the 
in the pressers, at least more than zero, which is how many DeMarcus Christmas gets. So I'm I'm uh, I'm tentatively putting PJ Johnson in and DeMarcus Christmas on the practice squad. That could be switched. It, they're they're basically the same thing. Uh, a depth run stuffer defensive tackle that could be a minor contributor for like 20% of snaps. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then those other guys, Reed, Ford, Bonet, Green, Collier, they'll be the guys that are getting the bulk of the snaps at defensive tackle for this team. Uh, Kevin, do you have Chris? You had Christmas over Johnson, right? Incorrect. I'm carrying 60 tackles if you include Collier. If you include Collier. Okay. <laughs> So you have Johnson and Christmas. Yes. You and then a, Lattimore you have a, on the you have, a, you have a Christmas Johnson. I do. In a box? Uh, put, it's because I got you, all that Monet. All that Monet you, gave me a Christmas did you Johnson. Put a, did you put a bow on the box too? Like a... You guys. You One. guys. <laughs> Make them open the box. All right. Uh, uh, hey, Nathan, I want, I want to say like I really like your PJ Johnson pick because I can't pick between PJ Johnson and DeMarcus Christmas. I feel like Kevin Hart picked. Kevin, he just he just was like, we need we need Christmas Johnson. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I hey mean, we can get Christmas Johnson. You get Christmas Johnson, man. I th- right. feel like one will end up on the practice squad, though. Yeah, I, I have, I'm kind of on that that train. Uh, all right, Bobby Wagner, Jordan Brooks, Cody Barton, KJ Wright, Ben Burkirvan, Shaquem Griffin, uh, Pita Tamayo Penu. Okay, he's not making the team, but those other six guys, Kevin, did you cut any of them? Did you cut BBK? Nope, they're did you all cut Shaquem? You cut KJ? I have them all on the. I have them all on the roster. Did you cut first round pick Jordan Brooks? I did not. I didn't cut Bobby <laughs> Wagner either. I, I kept I, Bobby. I know that's controversial. Uh, yeah, I felt like this was a pretty easy one. Um, this the, the thing is, is that they've already kind of feels like their rosters kind of settling in. Feels like we're close. There's maybe four guys uh, on the bubble. All right, cornerbacks. So, uh, These cornerbacks. Uh, let's go. DB on Renfro. DJ Reed. Gavin Heslop. Lyndon Stevens. Jason Stanley. Josh Norwood. Nico Thorpe. Ugo Amadi, Shaquille Griffin, Quentin Dunbar, Trey Flowers. Kevin, how many did you keep? I kept five. Five. All right, which five? I have uh, Griffin, Dunbar, and Flowers in the locks. Mm-hmm. I have the Thorpedo. Mm-hmm. And I took Jason Stanley. Okay. Why, um, Jason, why particularly Jason Stanley? Stanley. So I think Reed is going to start on the injured list. Heslop and Renfro, we can probably stash one or both on the practice squad. So yes. it came down to Lyndon Stevens or Jason Stanley, who both have been in the league for two years for Stanley, one year for or two years for Stevens and one year for Stanley. And so I just look back at their preseason um, statistics and look back at their scouting reports. Stanley's got a little bit more size, a little bit more length, and his coverage grade has been better. So I'm thinking we probably want to keep somebody for an outside corner position. And Jason Stanley over Stevens, I think, is um, a solid pick. And let's say you see something in camp I didn't see. So one thing is is that I think that you could think about, too, is that Ryan Neal has real, like, I can play safety and cornerback hype. Like, there's, like, a flexibility thing there that I think might lead him to making the roster in that last, like, cornerback, cornerback slash safety slot that, like, Lano Hill, him uh, – Jason Stanley, uh, those guys are all fighting over, right? They're all yep. fighting for this last cornerback spot and uh, or cornerback slash safety spot, this last secondary spot. And it, I think that the flexibility Ryan Neal provides might give him an edge, although I ended up just keeping five cornerbacks because I think the top-end talent on our team is so good that the need for backups will be lower than than usual. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's not going to – there's going to be – a lot of these guys are going to play a ton. And 
an, uh, Ugo Amadi and Marquise Blair both picking up corner chops and being able to be corner slash safeties is very useful in terms of like, if we need to spell a guy for four plays, we can just throw Blair out there and, and uh, at nickel corner, you know, and, and not worry about it. And Griffin Dunbar and flowers are all excellent starting outside corners. So we're, we're not excellent, you know, excellent to average. They're all very capable. Yeah. Capable. That's a better word. All right. Safety. I kept Diggs, Blair Adams. And then I have Neil versus Hill. This was the hardest choice of the whole thing for me. Uh, but I went, I went Neil over Leno. I think that, Neil has the inside track on that uh, last safety spot. So there you go. Mostly because of the cornerback flexibility that Kevin talked about. He kept Jason Stanley. I kept Brian Neal in that kind of flex spot there. I like where you guys had that. Neal making that spot. That would make a lot of sense to me. Ryan Neal has really. Okay. One thing when you Google Ryan Neal that you'll Mm -hmm. like, Kevin, and everyone else who Googles Ryan Neal like I did today, he has some fantastic eyebrows. (laughs) <laughs> um, like they are like full and thick and like pretty incredible. So good job, Ryan Neal. I'm as a fellow big eyebrow dude that I respect you and really, uh, really like, it. and he's a Saluki, which is right, cool. never mind. I'm, I'm all in on Mr. Big eyebrows. <laughs> did you cut Lano Hill too, Kevin, or did you keep, it? I did cut Lano Hill. It's I tough. think it's just time. It's one of those things like as much of a contributor as he's capable of being, it's, it's been long enough. We've moved on from Tedrick. And I think that uh, I think Leno Hill last year was his chance to step up and really earn a spot. Okay, so here's my um, my last four in. I have Belor, Ursua, Johnson, and Neil. So those are my last four guys on the roster. Like those are the guys that I think are on the bubble the most. My last, my first four out are Leno Hill, Luke Wilson, uh, David Moore, and uh, Demarcus Christmas. So there you go. I, I did that too, just to kind of keep track. Obviously, the last three roster spots go to Dixon Myers Ott. That's pretty unassailable. Got a Dicko mode, uh, number 69, Mr. Ott himself. Those guys, <laughs> those, and then, of course, Otto Myers never misses. They didn't even bring in a competition because why would you? Who needs to compete with the GOAT? That's stupid. So, yeah. Anything else to add here before we uh, jump into the next segment? Uh, no, I think everything else I have to add is part of the next segment. All right. So the next thing on it we want to talk about is every day. So we'll be cutting a bunch of guys here. There'll be like, you know, I, by my count, there'll be something like 30 Seahawks who will be cut and every team will get an opportunity to grab those guys. Right. And so one thing to think about is at cut down day, what guys might we end up getting? Cause here's what will happen. This is like these, I said, there's guys on the bubble, right? Like I said, some names of guys in the bubble. PJ Johnson, let's use him as an example. The some other team cuts a defensive tackle that the Seahawks are so excited about. PJ Johnson, that might be it for him, right? Uh yeah, I might Ryan, not be going home for Christmas. Ryan Neal. Ryan Neal, man. Just he's had a great he's had a good preseason. He's got or a good camp. He's got positional flexibility. And uh, oh no, someone cut a cornerback, or they're going to cut a cornerback we really like. We trade him a seventh round pick, bring in a new cornerback, Ryan Neal. Sucks, man, but see you later. You know, that kind of stuff happens all the time. This is how the Seahawks got Jacob Hollister. This is how the Seahawks got uh, Coleman, our uh, old nickel cornerback. Yeah, Justin Coleman, yeah. So so this is this is something that is the Seahawks have had a lot of success with in the past. So I asked the boys, I said, hey, 
Can you guys tell me, look at some other teams' rosters. Who are some guys on the cut potential cut list that you think might be coming Seahawks way this uh, this year? So, Kevin, you looked at some players you thought might come for the Seahawks. Go ahead. Hit us with some uh, – some you said you said you did uh, interior defensive line. I did interior defensive line because, as everyone who listens knows, that's the position group that keeps me up at night. I'm I'm tossing and turning, thinking about that Christmas Johnson and just not feeling good about it. <laughs> and so I feel like Monet, Christmas, and Johnson are all players that are basically replacement level. And so I, I think you could safely pick up a couple of guys. And so when I look at the defensive tackle spot, I see Snacks Harrison still sitting there as a free agent. And, you know, he could come in, COVID test, and then just roll in for run snaps from week one on. So Snacks Harrison's a guy I'm keeping an eye on. Carolina is overhauling their defense and shedding contracts, and they're getting dead money as they can. And came on short. Come on short. Yeah, this is someone I had looked at too, Kevin. I think this yeah. is a great call. He is on a deal that is going that is that looks uh that doesn't look great moving forward for them. It doesn't fit their plan. Yep. To say to say the least. And so K1 Short and Brandon Williams in Baltimore, who's got a couple of quality defensive tackles, nose tackles behind him, are two guys who are veteran, kind of big name, getting paid like big names, who might end up getting cut as a cap casualty for that reason. Um, and I think both of those would be stellar pickups for the team. Yeah. And Quan, Quan Short's going to get 17 million. And the, another thing is, is the, the way about the way cap, these cap things work. Uh, so if they cut Quan Short, then they, they would, um, they could designate it and spread the cap hit over two seasons if they wanted to, because it'd be 17.1 million in dead cap, or they could just eat it all this year. And, uh, Really He's already eating a dead season, so you know what's what's yeah. a little more cap. Yeah, so I think I think that that'd be a, that'd be Quan Short would be a great addition to the squad. I'd get him probably on a decent deal. Um, all right, so I, I do have a couple more dudes down roster though. Go ahead, hit me. All right, Daquan Jones out of Tennessee, big run stopper who's a little overpaid right now, and they could cut him and move on uh, and save the money. So that's a guy that would be like our Al Woods edition right there. And then Greg Gaines and Marquise Copeland on the Rams. They are cash strapped with a lot of D tackles because Brockers came back and didn't go to Baltimore. And then they had signed Ashawn Robinson. So they're kind of overstuffed on that, like kind of run stopping defensive lineman. And so I could see Gaines or Copeland being a casualty. And I think either of them could come in and definitely compete for a spot. All right. Uh, Eric, did you do it? Did you, what position did you pick? So I was looking at D tackle before, like, before I saw Kevin's response. I couldn't come up with any great names that I was really into. Kevin's going to be way better at that anyway. Um, looking at edge players, basically any sort of pass rush we could find, I didn't really find any. And again, you guys got, are much better. I got a, I got a couple that these are the highest profile okay. names I think could, could move right. I'll finish mine because mine is very much just a wish list at the end. Edge. So. Edge, like I, Melvin Ingram. Melvin Ingram yep. is uh, unhappy with his contract. He's unhappy being on the Chargers, I think, because they're losing. Um, Ryan Kerrigan. Ryan yep. Kerrigan, I think he doesn't Ugh. fit. He doesn't fit the kind of defense that I love Ryan Kerrigan. I think he's criminally underrated. He is really consistent in terms of creating pressure. He's been doing it for a super long time. If he gets 10 sacks this year, he'll have 100 career sacks. That's a pretty 
pretty solid. Um, I think that he's, he's really good. And so he's someone who is making, I think like $12 million uh, this year and they could just save it. They, they could save all the money by releasing or trading him. So he could be available pretty cheap. Um, I think both of those guys are edge players who both interest me and uh, their Jaguars have Dwayne Smoot. He was a third round pick that they made and he, he finally like kind of started to come along last year, but they're trying to lose. And if he has another big year, they're not going to be able to pay him anyway. So I could see them moving Dwayne Smoot and for like a, a late round pick, you know, and just saying, just kind of bagging it because they are trying hard to lose. I don't know if you've noticed. Um, and they have Josh Allen, Clevion Chason and Cassius Marsh. They have guys that are going to compete with him for snaps anyway, so they don't need him at all. Uh, those are guys that um, I thought of for a, uh, for defensive ends. What do you think about Olivier Vernon if uh, Clowney ends up going to Baltimore or Cleveland because they're the only people offering him big money? Yeah, if they cut Vernon, because that's basically what they do. They cut Vernon and just give his money to Jadavian Clowney. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that would be, that'd be fine. I would be fine with it. Like It's the same as Kerrigan. He's a solid, proven, consistent pass rusher. He's nothing, he's nothing over the top. I would rather have Kerrigan than Vernon, but I think they're pretty similar in terms of like uh, talent level. Uh, so, okay. I had a different position in mind though. I had a couple players. Uh, you guys are going to, you guys are going to hate me for this. You guys ready? I'm in. I'm thinking, what about, well, so I looked at offensive linemen and I was like, uh, like maybe Pat Elfline will get cut. Maybe Riley, um, Riley, the the Vikings have too many offensive linemen and they're paying all of them too much. So they need to cut someone Riley Rife, Pat Elfline. They need to, they need to get someone out of there. They have like a huge log jam. They uh, asked like, Riley Rife to take a pay cut and he's like, mm, I don't know about that, man. Pro- probably not. Yeah. So, <laughs> so those, so the Vikings will cut an offensive lineman and I'd be interested in whoever they cut just from like a death protective, but I'm going to go wide receiver. Okay. And there's a guy that plays for a rival team that we often end up trading players with all the time that I think is talented, but has kind of been in his coach's doghouse, and that is Dante Pettis. And so my big thing is yeah. that uh, the, the San Francisco, for some reason, when they when they switched over to last year to Shanahan, and Dante Pettis just ended up in the doghouse. Like he just it did not work out. The first season it was great, and the second season it was horrible. And I think that they could cut Pettis because they don't they don't have room for him. You know, they have tons of wide receivers. Uh, ahead of him on the roster and it's a easy it's a nice easy cut for them and i just think that he would fit really well with uh with our team in the kind of b- better john ursua role uh also uh outside <laughs> that... receiver experience also return man right like he's just he's just a more versatile more talented john ursua like he i, I love john ursua he's my favorite senior citizen on the team but that's um <laughs> yeah dude uh, here's the thing though John or Sue and Pete go back to high school. So great. Cool. <laughs> Nathan's not interested. Those personal connections, man. So, yeah. I think Pettis would be a great pickup. That's a good, that's, that's that a was, good one. that was my, that was my big uh, wide receiver name. Uh, I also wrote down Alshon Jeffrey uh, as like a, but, but now every, every wide receiver in Philadelphia is getting hurt. Every player in Philadelphia is getting hurt. So never mind. He's not getting cut. No He's, old shot uh, Altry. There's no chance of that happening. So, uh, yeah, that's it. That's uh, that was my guy, Dante Pettis. There you go. Bring him in when the 49ers screw up and cut him, and hopefully dyes his hair pink again because I liked that. All right, all right. Demarcus Christmas is ready. What's your wish list? 
Um, I also had Melvin Ingram. I don't really know if he, that is something that it, it can happen, but it would be pretty cool. My other wish list, Jadavian Clowney. Now's the time. What are you <laughs> waiting for? This is it. He has to wait like five more. He has to wait five more days to not have to do training camp. Okay. I guess. I mean, at this rate, I feel like we could still get him if he said, "Okay, I'm sorry, I want to come back." Did you we, see the contract rumor though? I did not. Wait, wait, the Cleveland one? Yes. That I posted yes. in Discord. Yeah. Yeah. Not. Oh. I didn't see it in Discord, but I did see it online. It's. If it's, he really declined that deal, that's 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 not good. Well, no, that's just he hates Cleveland. The Browns <laughs> offered him one, two, or three years. His choice. 17 to 18 million dollars doesn't yeah we don't care you can have a one-year deal two-year deal three-year deal whatever man but we can give you 18 million dollars a year for however many years you want to be a brown and he was like i'm good no i i saw that <laughs> and that tells me that he wants to win and if the titans haven't gone and got him yet if the ravens aren't going to get him minnesota just picked up a pass rusher not that i think that they really have much of a chance i feel like we have a chance i'm naive i'm hopeful i'm a romantic I don't care. <laughs> I think the only team that, that's in it, there's a couple teams in it still, right? Titans, us, uh, New England, because they cleared a ton of cap room when all their guys went on the, uh, they opted out. So those are those are guys uh, I really, I think those are those are places he could land and they're all pretty reasonable. It just depends, you know, it just depends on what he wants. And at this point, nobody knows. People can act like they know, but we don't know. He knows what he's getting in Seattle. He knows the culture. He knows the team. And I'm guessing he knows the offer. You know, like he knows we can give him it. By my look, it looks like we can give him about 17, 18 million dollars pretty easily. We have 11 million in cap right now. If we trade KJ, we can get to 18. If we cut Hollister and more, we can get pretty close to 18. We'd have to do a little more shenanigans than that. But I'm guessing, you know, someone would change their contract a little bit to even get Clowney in. Uh, however you have to do that and so because remember the cap is a figment of your imagination look at kansas city <laughs> they, look at new orleans for the last decade right it's it well new orleans is finally gonna have to pay next year they have like negative 39 million in cap next year right i'll now. believe it when i see it sir <laughs> yeah they'll figure out a way to to scam their way out of it they always do but for now Breeze has turned it into four billion dollars in scratch tickets <laughs> All right. So, yeah, I think it's 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 tough. It's tough. All right. Anything else before we uh head over to the uh the the money zone? Oh, wait. One last thing. Sorry. Pete Carroll. 15 minutes. He got real. They they canceled practice and he got real with the press. You have to watch it. I don't even want to say anything else about it. You have to watch it. It's important. It really he does a great job um summing summing up kind of like what's going on and what what we should be thinking about and um, just gives points people in the right direction. And uh, it's not, it's not a perfect statement. It's not. um, And some of his things he's done in the past don't totally align with the words that he's saying, but that doesn't matter. Um, Anyone can say the right thing at the right time. And I think he nailed it. And then the more people in positions of power like that speak up, the better it is. So I'm, uh, I was happy to see it. Yeah. The only thing I would add to that is um, recommending another podcast, uh, Seahawks made a man as well as an yeah. article on The Athletic. If you subscribe, uh, Michael Sean Dugar has done a really great job talking about these subjects in a informed and um, intelligent manner that, uh, like, he, he just, he adds, like, he's really good at interviews, yeah. and he's really good at adding cultural context to things, and he does both of those beautifully about the subject. 
Yeah. Plus, he likes sneakers as much as I do. So, anyone to watch Michael. Michael, if Michael, get at me. I'm if you're listening, I will do a podcast with you about shoes and uh, the Cougars. So just let me know. I'm ready and waiting. Okay, uh, I'll get. Uh, let's go to Money Zone. If you want to support the Seahawks Nest Padres podcast, there is many ways to do so. The best way to do so: head over to www.punthub.us. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a website that will help you get to our our you Patreon and our SoundCloud. You have to put the www. It won't work because Brett is our Brett's the JP. worst <laughs> the worst web developer of all time. Uh, so we love, you know, we love, we love you. My best shot, and uh, uh, you miss one hundred percent of the shots you don't take, guys. So uh, <laughs> that's a shot off Pollard you missed. I, you know what? It's it's funny, and the the art my friend Mike did for us uh, is it's funny on there. He. Uh, You'll see. So, uh, but the Patreon is is kicking off. We got the Discord popping off. There's only one spot left in our Dynasty Fantasy League. The 12 team Fantasy League's already drafted, but there'll be prizes in the Discord. We got masks giveaways coming out. We've got uh, tons of stuff going on. Thanks to the new 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 subscribers, uh, KB, EB, and Andy. Uh, you guys rock. Thank you for supporting the Seahawks Nest podcast. And let me get into the benefit manager and read off the names of the people who've been supporting us for a long time. That would be Lucas, Timothy, Ryan, KB, Jay, James, Brett, Carrie, Tom, Michael, Brandon, Nick, Emmanuel, Jay, Bob, Richard, Kieran, Mike, Flocktimus, Keith, Michelle. One day there'll be too many names. I won't be able to read them all anymore. I'll have to like do like a, we'll do the quick pre- scroll on the YouTube video. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. But uh, we're not there yet. I It's too, it's too important to me. I'm going to keep reading all the names. If you can't support that way, head over to iTunes, head over to, uh, you know, wherever you get your podcast information um, and give us a, a nice review. It helps people find the podcast, lets them know what's going on. Thanks to most recent reviewer on iTunes, Aaron, you rock. Uh, all right. That's it. That's uh, that's that. Let's do movie club. So today for movie club, we are going to honor two films, not one, two films in honor of the third film in the trilogy coming out today or not today. It came out like uh, August 28th, three days ago. So Bill and Ted, Bill and Ted face the music hits theaters and streaming on the same day, August 28th, 2020. Could choose whether or not you want to risk life and limb to go to go see it uh that's a joke i i i really feel like the way that i looked at the theater map on uh, on an app and i was like wow they only let like five people in this whole theater yeah that's probably fine <laughs> so, so so yeah it's it's a it's not as big a deal as a maybe uh there's probably way worse things you could do <laughs> so bill and ted face the music hits theaters eric you saw it what'd you think just give me the uh, no spoiler review no spoiler review. If you are a fan of Bill and Ted one and or two, uh, I think you'll enjoy the third one. I think it's a really great uh, way of bringing the whole series to a. Uh, I'm not even gonna say a conclusion. Uh, just looping it all back in into the common uh, day and what we have going on. Uh, you know, with let's face it, it's a different era of movies. It's a different type of movie out there. This is very nostalgic. Lots of fun. Very enjoyable. All right. So the um, the plot, Bill, let's start with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is a movie. So in 20, I think it's 2688, right? They, they, um, they live in a utopian society and it's all because Bill and Ted were uh, the philosopher, philosophers. They're two great ones, right? And so um, Rufus, who's played by George Carlin, has to go back in time to ensure that they pass a high school history class Otherwise, 
Ted's father is going to send him to military camp, right? Military yeah. school. Yeah, and they never write the song that inspires world peace. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So then that's pretty much it. Uh, they, that's the plot of the movie. They go back in time. They meet a bunch of historians. They pass their history class uh, by giving like this presentation in front of the whole school that has yeah, like Socrates, Mister the Kid, uh, Na- Napoleon, Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, so it's it's basically like them adventuring through time in this phone booth and uh, learning about history. It's it's a really silly plot, but I it's think in the best ways. But I think it's really funny and like it's heartfelt. Like there's like a real heart to this movie that I think, um, and it has a great quote, you know, where it's excellent. <laughs> they, they do like that. Th- that's like an all time uh, just movie thing. Um, there has oh. one of my favorite. It has one of my favorite jokes of any movie, which is where they meet themselves, and <laughs> then Bill or no Ted looks at Ted and he just goes. What number am I thinking of? And the guy goes, and they both just go, 69. Whoa. <laughs> I don't know why, but every time I get to that part of the movie and that joke hits, I, I just die. I'm like laughing so hard. So yeah, I, I like it quite a quite a bit. So yeah, that's um there you go. That's my my quick thoughts on Bill and Ted. Kevin, I know you have lots of thoughts on this movie. I will let Eric take this one first. Okay. I'll nice. Um man. Uh, Bill and Ted was the dumbest movie, <laughs> the dumbest looking movie you thought was going to bomb. And I'll say that people enjoyed it because, yeah, it is dumb, but it was funny. The cast was, I don't know if mesmerizing is the right word, but Keanu Reeves has something that draws us to him. Um, it was also a role that fit him perfectly. Everyone thinks he's a big dummy. His voice works against him. It works for him in this. Alex Winter uh, does a lot of scripting in these movies, cares a lot about every project he's into. He directs and produces a lot. That guy is way smarter than the character he plays. Thus, this movie still does have a lot of heart, and that goes a long way with not only this podcast, but just a lot of people. And I mean, the director of Bill and Ted, he ended up directing a bunch of movies that I would say like have a lot of heart, like Mighty Ducks, Mr. Holland's Opus, the 101 Dalmatians movie. Like these are... I think that's kind of like his thing is that he like he makes movies that really seem to like hit hit in a way that they're they're goofy. They're funny. They might not need need to be totally be taken seriously, but they have a lot of heart, which gives it a good through line. Right. Like, you yeah, they got a center. Mm-hmm. sorry, um, Kevin. I like how they had. Uh, so their princesses were two literal princesses. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> a joke that just hits for me every single time because it's very dumb. Um the part when they're doing the uh, philosophy quoting with the uh, Greek philosophers and they do uh, every rose has its thorn. Yep. There's just so many moments where they take these things that are, it's, it's stupid. It's very stupid, but it just doesn't matter because it fits. They're faking their way through history. And the funny thing is the historical figures all realize like, Oh, they seem really well-intentioned. And so they just kind of go with it. And so they end up kidnapping people throughout history. And then all the people they kidnap end up going to a water park because they have to keep them busy. One, <laughs> Everything one, about this movie yeah, is nuts. It makes one sense, thing, right? One thing I love about this movie is it took like two, like this movie came out in 1988. And it's just like, it's a, or an 89, sorry. And it's a story of these like two late 80s burnouts who uh, 
and it, it correctly like blends these the like 1989 burnout metalhead like uh, culture with history, right? Yeah, like, it has like Guns and Roses and like there's a Van Halen, like Van Halen bit, and like there's just a bunch of stuff like that where it's like these guys, it it you think those two things shouldn't go together, right? Like it shouldn't work, but it totally does, and it's because of the the talent of like the people involved, you know, and this movie really brought Keanu Reeves into the mainstream, right? This is his first, like, I think huge, uh, (laughs) role. And so journey and bogus journey plays on the same tropes in different ways that make it feel different. Yeah. So we go to bogus journey and I, I love the, first of all, the there's, there's this movie has kind of two phases, um, and I, I feel like, like the first phase when they're in the afterlife and they have to get out of, out of hell in that part. Oh, wait, and they, we have to start they, with the, it starts with the, it starts with uh, evil robot bill and evil robot Ted. Right. Sure. Yes. And but, that whole sequence is hilarious yeah. because it plays on the sequence where they meet each other in the first movie and kind of reruns those jokes in a way that keeps them funny. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then William Sadler as death. Okay. So. he's so he's so good as death he like really just makes this movie so much funnier um there's a and i think that like that part when they're when they're cast down and into hell and stuff that part is is really great but once they get they so they eventually get out of hell that's on the movie i think like is completely out of control like it goes off the rails they're they're like they're way they they basically they think that the this movie, I think, is almost as good or as good as the first one, but it's like this movie had too many ideas and they needed to like tune up some of the other ideas and then maybe like get rid of some some ideas. So real quick, you skipped over my three favorite jokes in this movie. Oh, no, go for it. I was, I was going to say, I don't I only remember like one specific joke from this movie. So yeah, okay. it should be this. So not I hawked a loogie on the good dead me, which is really funny, but not one of my favorite ones. Uh, they rerun the 69 joke. Mm-hmm. which is how the, uh, the, the evil robots. Mention. Yep. Um, and then when they're falling and they're like screaming and they eventually get bored of screaming. And yeah. so like, let's play 20 questions. <laughs> uh, are you a mineral? Yes. Are you a tank? Good one. <laughs> and then uh, what is it? Uh, if I die, you can totally have my mega death collection. Dude, we're already dead. Oh, well, then they're yours. <laughs> and then oh, the last one is, uh, is this what hell looks like? Dude, we were totally lied to by our album covers. <laughs> yeah, I like There's bogus. so many good little like lines in there. And the delivery is perfect. All right, Eric, I want you, since you're the only person who's seen the third one, Kevin and I are both probably going to watch it this week. Uh, but you've seen the third one. Rank the three movies. One, two, three. We waited, and another thing is, we waited almost twenty years for the third one. Uh, yeah. Thirty. Oh, thirty years. Yeah, yeah, twenty-nine, uh, really? thirty. I'm Hashtag gotta, math. Yikes. Yeah, don't don't trust me to do the math. I'll say this Shout about the, math. I I will say that I think it's going to go two, one, three for me, just because the second one was so good at being a different movie than the first, while still incorporating all the tropes. Uh, they've managed to build on the first movie and make an actual sequel without redoing it. Uh, bringing death in was just it. That's upper level for being so stupid. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
the third one is a great, a very enjoyable movie. But the first Bill and Ted, it was the first one we saw. The second one, basically built on the first one, making it different. The third one, it's a much different movie, and it's still really good. But if I'm watching them, it's either going to be one, two, three, or two, one, three. And that's nothing on the third one. Okay. I have a fun fact about the third one that might change your mind. You ready? Ooh. The uh, the release date of the movie was 8-21-2020. What is 8 plus 21 plus 20 plus 20? <laughs> 69. Oh. Whoa. <laughs> Now, I mean, now, now is the third one the best? <laughs> Just kidding. Dude, that's <laughs> marketing, maybe. Uh, so <laughs> one other joke, by the way, the the thing with uh, Bogus Journey is, I think Act One, which is uh, evil robots and hell, is strong. The recruiting scenes are kind of the weakest part, which is funny because I'd say that's the opposite of what the case with Excellent Adventure. But then, the end of Bogus Journey. The whole like time travel shenanigans at the Battle of the Bands is mm-hmm. great. And then when they do uh the and then when they play them off when Wild Stallion and they do the uh the newspapers and everything, you have like a uh, Reaper Cotton lip sync scandal. Yeah, and they go they go to the they go to Mars or whatever. Yeah, the first and third act of Bogus Journey is excellent. It, the second act is a is a hot mess though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else you guys want to talk about Bill and Ted before we head out? I don't think right. so. Sounds good. For uh, Kevin Garber, for Eric Ronnebeck, we will see you guys next week. Go Hawks. Excellent.